0: Hi, I'm Paul Jay, and welcome to the Analysis.news podcast. Please don't forget the donate button at the top of the webpage. The Associated Press reports that Elliot Abrams, one of the true Darth Vaders of U.S. foreign policy, okay, that's me, not AP. Now we're back to AP. And the U.S. special representative for Iran, while on a trip to the Middle East, insisted Thursday that a maximum pressure campaign of sanctions targeting Iran would persist into the administration of Joe Biden, even as the president-elect has pledged to potentially return America to Tehran's nuclear deal with world powers. The Trump administration has made perhaps its highest foreign policy objective— weakening and, if possible, bringing down the government and ruling circles of Iran. Trump's killing of the Iranian general Soleimani was an attempt to provoke Iran into a war, a tactic that didn't work. Iran was also the target of the Bush-Cheney administration, who could not abide a regional adversary with the capability of firing ballistic missiles at American troops and allies. Obama's deal with Iran to limit its ability to develop nuclear weapons technology— was a break with the neocon agenda of regime change in Iran. It was an acceptance of Iran as a regional power, a role that was strengthened by the disastrous Iraq war. Biden says he will return the U.S. to that agreement and end U.S. support for the Saudi war in Yemen. So why is Elliot Abrams, a man connected to the most aggressive foreign policy the last few decades, touring the Middle East, drumming up support for even more intense sanctions at a time of the COVID crisis and tens of thousands of deaths in Iran, does Trump still want to be a wartime president? Elliot Abrams says, while a military strike is not off the table, any suggestion that Trump is planning such a strike against Iran is, quote, garbage. Well, do the neocons who have supported Biden over Trump expect something in return? Now joining us is Trita Parsi, Executive Vice President of the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft and author of Treacherous Alliance, A Single Roll of the Dice and Losing an Enemy. Thanks very much for joining us, Trita.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, Trita, start with why you think Abrams is over there at at this moment, right after the elections.
1: Well, the official reason, and it's interesting that they haven't even tried to hide that, is that he is there to coordinate with the Israelis, the Saudis, and the Emiratis in order to provide a flood of new sanctions that will make it next to impossible, their calculation, for the Biden administration to go back to the nuclear deal because these new sanctions will not be connected to Iran's nuclear program but will be based on human rights abuses, uh, missile technology, etc., and as a result, make it more difficult, if not impossible, for the Biden administration to undo those sanctions, which would be necessary in order for the JCPOA to be resurrected. And it reveals incidentally that all this talk that sanctions were only a means to be able to get to the negotiating table was always a complete lie, that this was a tactic aimed at bringing down the agreement and make diplomacy with Iran impossible. And when diplomacy with Iran is impossible, For two countries that are are in the same sphere, the likelihood of war dramatically increases.
0: Well, if human rights is supposed to be one of the rationales for new sanctions, uh, it's kind of ridiculous that when the Saudis are on the side of sanctioning. I mean, this... uh, how could you even just talk about human rights in Iran when you're allied with the Saudis?
1: Indeed, I mean, at the end of the day, I think this administration made it quite clear and explicit, there was a memo that was being circulated at the State Department's policy planning, uh, I believe written by uh, uh, Brian, um, uh, the, the previous uh, coordinator on uh, Iran for Trump, uh, which essentially said human rights abuses should be used as a weapon against America's enemies but we should not be complaining about countries that are allied to the United States that are abusing human rights. In some ways it was making what frankly had been standard American practice It made it explicit and made it more blatant but the United States unfortunately already has a long record of instrumentalizing human rights and using it mostly against countries that are opposing the US rather than using it equally against countries whether they're friends or foes of the United States.
0: Why would a, a new round of sanctions that that are done in the di- assuming these are the dying days of the Trump administration? I, Trump doesn't seem to think so, but a lot of the neocons who are very aggressive towards Iran, they seem to think this is the end of Trump. Bolton's on television every other every other hour on one channel or another, telling Trump to step down and telling other Republicans to get a to uh, not support Trump in all this litigation and so on. And certainly Bolton's one of the most, uh, more aggressive of the neocons towards Iran, but not the only one. And and others who have been really pro-supporting uh, Biden openly against Trump all along in this election campaign, some of the people in the Lincoln Project and others, not all, but some of them are neocons. Um, wh- what are they expecting from a Biden uh, Will he undo these new sanctions, or or is he changing his approach to Iran as part of some deal with these neocons?
1: It is too early to say. Uh, I think the signals that Biden have sent, however, have been clear that he intends to go back to the agreement. We should also keep in mind that all of the uh, Democratic nominees for uh, candidates for presidency, with the exception of one or two, all pledged that they were going to go back to the agreement. It is part of the democratic platform to revive the JCPOA. Um, I think there are challenges ahead, and there are clearly an effort by the Trump administration to try to increase those challenges. The idea they are having is that because these sanctions are not tied to the JCPOA, to the nuclear program, it will make it more difficult for Biden to undo them as a result of a, an attempt to go back to the JCPA because the Iranians clearly will object and say, you know, lifting all of those other nuclear sanctions are meaningless if the very same economic punishment nevertheless exists as well, but just on a different basis. And I think in some ways the Trump people may have undermined themselves because they made it so blatantly clear that ultimately, regardless of what type of legal pretext they're using for the sanctions, the objective is to undo the nuclear deal. And that, I think, will create a lot of sympathy for the demand for all of these sanctions to be lifted by Biden. Um, and also help him politically, frankly, here in in Washington. Otherwise, there would probably have been opposition in some Democratic quarters if he were to lift sanctions that were targeting the ballistic missile program. But now when it's so clear that those sanctions are only there to kill the JCPOA, it may actually make it less problematic for him to lift them.
0: Biden has to work pretty closely now with Chuck Schumer in the Senate. There's going to be a, if they win these two seats in Georgia, it's going to be by a hair that they control the Senate, and there's certainly no guarantee of that. And Schumer and, and the people he's allied with in the Democratic Party were against the nuclear deal with Iran. Is that going to affect Biden's approach to this?
1: I think less so than even last time, because at the end of the day, Schumer was in a complete minority, and progressive organizations like Move on promised that they would primary and and fund the, the candidates that would uh, run against uh, people like Schumer and others who voted against it. And we saw that Elliot, Abrams, uh, Elliot Engel, who also voted against the deal, uh, lost his seat uh, earlier today, uh, this year in a primary. Um, and when you take a look at the new Democrats that are coming in, um, they are of a different orientation when it comes to these things. They're brought up thinking that the JCPA is a, a major democratic achievement. Um, and as a result, the sympathies and the orientations of some of the more establishment Democrats, I think, are actually weaker. Even if uh, Chuck Schumer will control uh, the Senate and will continue to do so, he was in a minority last time on the JCPOA. He will continue to be in a minority on the JCPOA if he continues to oppose it.
0: Now, what is the situation in Iran now? I see a, a number of something like 40,000 deaths, and that's many people think that's actually quite a low estimation. Uh, how how badly are the Iranian people being affected by sanctions, and if there's more sanctions, especially at this time?
1: Well, the sanctions have clearly been absolutely devastating uh, for the Iranians, and particularly mindful of the fact that you have the COVID pandemic happening at the same time. It, it was quite um, something to see that the Trump administration explicitly talked about COVID being something that would amplify and augment the impact of sanctions. I mean, that I think it reveals the cruelty that it has been the intent behind these sanctions. Now, of course, the government's own corruption and its own mismanagement have also considerably the, uh, contributed to the difficulties that exist right now in terms of COVID. The hopes, however, for some form of Uh, a return to the JCPA and brighter days seems to be there. But my own sense talking to a lot of Iranians as of late is that there is a a tremendous cautiousness when it comes to being optimistic. Last time they were optimistic and the JCPA came in and they had good reasons to be optimistic, they were nevertheless seeing all of their uh, hopes being dashed with Trump coming in, reversing the deal, reimposing sanctions, and even before he came in, Um, uh, the sanctions relief process had not at all worked the way that most people had expected it to work. And the Iranians had demanded that it would work. So uh, there is uh, some caution, but at the same time, some optimism that with Biden coming in and with him uh, attempting and intending to return, that there could be some sort of respite for some very, very dark years that the Iranians have suffered through.
0: Uh, There was some discussion or speculation whether the Iranians would even want to return to a deal, given that quote unquote, they don't really have a reliable partner. Uh, you never know every four years whether you actually have an agreement or not. But it seems like the Iranian government is, is sending signals that they do want the Americans back in.
1: Yeah, no, I think they do. Uh, I think they will try to see if there are some form of guarantees. And there are obviously no complete guarantees that can be offered, but there can be mechanisms that can be put in place. In fact, there should be mechanisms that should be put in place to make sure that this deal um, is not gonna be at the whim of whoever wins the White House next time, um, and that it will be insulated from such political events. At the end of the day, this was tremendously irresponsible for the United States to take a deal that the entire international community was behind with the exception of Saudi Arabia, UAE and Israel, that had 15 to zero votes in the UN Security Council, Uh, and and that clearly lied in the strategic national interest of the United States, and then let that become a political football. That is a height of uh, uh, irresponsibility, and I think it's quite reasonable to have the other countries, not just Iran, expect that mechanisms will be put in place to make sure that this cannot happen again.
0: If Biden follows through on his pledge to not support the Saudis' uh, war in Yemen any longer, if he follows through and actually does return the United States to the nuclear agreement, is there a a somewhat realignment taking place vis-a-vis U.S. relationship with the Saudis? And and one would think if that's that's the case, I don't know what the Saudis can do about it between now and, and January 20th. But they must not be very happy about a Biden government coming
1: in. They're certainly not happy. And taking a look at how uh, they have responded so far or not responded, I think is indicative of how worried they are. I mean, this is a, a government that really invested in the Trump administration. Uh, and so did the Netanyahu government and the MBZ government uh, in the UAE. Um, but I, I think that... Um, in terms of what will happen next uh, and how the Saudis will view, I don't think there is any appetite in the Biden administration for some sort of realignment in terms of the US moving closer to Iran. I think at most there is an appetite for redefining the US-Saudi relationship. And there I do think this uh, the Biden administration needs to go pretty far. I mean, one has to ask oneself, what does, what do the Saudis need to do before there is uh, uh, an agreement in the White House, whether it's a Republican or Democratic White House, that there's something off with this relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia, that something in that relationship needs to fundamentally change, not talking about the US and Saudi becoming enemies, but just saying that it cannot be the way it is, it cannot be the strategic partnership if the Saudis are engaged in a uh, a genocide in Yemen, if they are uh, cutting off the heads of columnists of Washington Post. I mean, what do they need to do? before that realization comes into place in the White House.
0: Well, a lot of people think they were directly involved in 9-11, and that didn't seem to affect the uh,
1: relationship. The politics have changed. I mean, just take a look at how Democrats are talking about Saudi Arabia today. It's quite dramatically different. The question is, will they act on it, or is it just something that they're saying during election years?
0: Okay. Well, let's—we'll see once Biden gets in. Just very quickly. Uh, what will Biden's appointment uh, as Secretary of State tell us about where he's heading on Iran? Or, or are all of the possibilities more or less on the same side when it comes to the uh, nuclear deal with Iran?
1: I think the biggest thing I would look for when it comes to who he appoints as Secretary of State is to see what does that tell us about the willingness of the Biden administration to rethink and think outside of the box when it comes to American foreign policy. I mean, we're now in a situation in which there is essentially one 9-11 amount of American deaths every three days. Every three days we have the equivalent of a 9-11. And $800 billion sent to the Pentagon has done absolutely nothing for that. This over-militarized foreign policy has done nothing to protect the American people from the real threats of this era, which are not the invasion of another country of the United States, but rather pandemics, climate chaos, etc. Is there going to be that willingness to really profoundly revisit the first principles of American foreign policy, America's military posture abroad, or will this be just some marginal changes uh, in the hope of making sure that, you know, at least it's not Trump running the show? That is what I'm going to be most focused on when it comes to who he appoints at the State Department.
0: All right. Thanks for joining us, Trita.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And thank you for joining us on the Analysis.News podcast. Please don't forget the donate button at the top of the webpage.